Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. So good to have the Durhams here finally, Trenton and Brooke and their daughter Coco. Yes. Um, today we are kicking off our generosity uh, season. We're going to spend the, the month of October thinking about uh, what does it mean for us to give and contribute to God's flourishing world? And how do we contribute to our own flourishing and the flourishing of those around us? We're going to um, culminate in you make a commitment, a financial commitment to give in 2020. This year there are going to be two commitments. We're asking uh, to make a commitment to give to the general ministry budget and then above and beyond that, which is the mission budget, which we usually do through a second mile what we call the second mile for mission giving, which is usually in the spring. This year, we're going to only ask for one, uh, one time a year in October to plan for 2020. So we invite you to prayerfully consider um, what God is calling you to commit to give in 2020. Well, we're thinking about this theme of flourishing. I thought it would be good for us to spend some time with one of the most famous passages from Holy Scripture, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It appears in Luke 10, and it's this great story that I want us to spend a lot of time looking at from different angles. We're going to look at it from four different angles. And I think there, at the heart of it is the secret to what it means to love our neighbor, to experience God's love for us, and to contribute to flourishing in a really holistic way. So let us look now at Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you by your spirit might speak a word that only you can speak, that you might teach us what it means to contribute to your flourishing world, to join in your movement. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
excuse me, the, the Bible begins in Genesis 1-1 with these words. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. This is the first of the two creation accounts that kick off the book of Genesis. In this first one, it goes through a day-by-day description of how God creates all that exists. On the first day, God speaks and says, let there be light, and there is light. And God says, it is good. On the second day, God creates the sky and the sea. And God says, it is good. On the third day, he creates land and vegetation. And he says, it's good. On the fourth day, he creates stars, sun, and moon. And he calls it good. On the fifth day, creates sea creatures, fish, birds. He looks back and calls it good. On the sixth day, God creates animals and humans. and He calls it good. And then on the seventh day, God rests. And as God looks out on all of creation, God says, it is very good. It is very good. Seven days of creation And he looks out, he says, look at my flourishing, good creation. God desires for creation that he loves to flourish. God's creation is good. Have you experienced it? Have you experienced it and witnessed it flourishing? When was the last time you caught a sunset? How about the last hike you went on? Maybe the the great last piece of music you heard, the smile of a child, the loving glance of a grandparent, God desires for his creation to flourish. And I love the fact that the story that Christians tell about the world is that creation is good. But do you know when the first time God said something wasn't good in Scripture? It occurs in Genesis 2.18. After God has created his good and beautiful world, he looks down at the first humans and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for humans to be alone. But humans are constantly trying to forget this fact. It is not good for us to be alone. We are naturally self-interested creatures caring about ourselves. We care about old number one. When you go to the grocery store and you think about what you want to buy for dinner, you think about what you want to eat. When you think about tax policy, you think about how is it going to affect me? When you came in today, I bet you said, where is my seat? And beware if you sit in somebody else's. But we naturally think about ourselves. This is the way the world works. We are self-interested creatures. In 1776, the first modern um, economics textbook was published by Adam Smith. It's called The Wealth of Nations. And in The Wealth of Nations, he um, tries to answer and ask the question, how do societies create wealth? And he's kind of an observer, and so he's looked out at how the world is built, how it operates, how systems come together, and how people are affected. And he writes about, in my copy, it's 1,254 pages. And I'm going to summarize it for you with probably the, the most famous quote from it. And as he He's looked out at the world. He says this. It is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. 
We address ourselves not to their humanity, but to their self-love. And we never talk to them of our own necessities, but of their disadvantages. He says, when he looks out and observes the world, people are self-interested. They care about themselves. Their focus is in, on themselves. We have this tendency to think that we are alone. And yet God created the world and said, it is not good for humans to be alone. I really think the rest of the Bible could be seen as a wrestling with this question. Are we alone in the world, or do we see ourselves in relationship? See, we spend the very early parts of our lives alone. The world centers around us. As many of you know, about eight months ago, a permanent visitor moved into our house. And it's all about him. We feed him. We change his diaper. Put clothes on him, drop him off at daycare, make a bottle, get up in the night and rock him to sleep. It's all about him. The other day I asked if I could borrow five bucks from him. He didn't even acknowledge me. It's all about him. We all come into the world this way. We depend on people to take care of us. You and I are only here because somebody loved us when we could not help ourselves. But sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that we are alone. It's not good for humans to be alone. Today's passage that I read begins with a conversation. It's a common conversation that would have happened in the first century. This young lawyer, this young legal scholar comes with a question for a rabbi. He's got a question for Jesus, this great teacher. And he asks the question, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A great question. And this legal scholar asks Jesus, and, and Jesus gives a fair response. He says, well, what do, you, what do you read in the law of Moses? What does it say? What has God already told you to do? And so the lawyer knows his Old Testament, and so he kind of summarizes God's command from Leviticus 19. The young man answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus affirms this young lawyer's answer. He says, You have answered rightly. You've given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. Then the legal scholar, he just doesn't feel like he's gotten to the heart of the issue. So then he asks a follow-up question. He says, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? And here we get to a question that would have been of much dispute and conversation in the first century. Who counts as my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who am I called to love? See, this young lawyer summarizes this great passage in Leviticus 19 where God has given the law of Moses and really can be summarized in, in two commands. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. We love God because God created and sustains all that exists and by God's very nature is worthy of worship and love. And then love your neighbor as yourself. But if I'm called to love my neighbor as myself, who counts as my neighbor? 
And Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan in many ways to help this young lawyer read and understand how to interpret Leviticus 19. So Leviticus 19 has two passages or two verses where it says something like, love your neighbor. Verse 18 reads, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Pay attention. Let me, let me read that again. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The way verse 18 reads, it seems that your neighbor are a part of this category of people called your people. Your people. People like you. People, descendants of Abraham, Israelites, Jewish folks. These are your neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself, who are your people. That's how a lot of people would have understood that passage. But this young legal scholar asks, and who is my neighbor? Who counts? Jesus, I think, has a different interpretation than just your people. Look at Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34. So several verses later, the law of Moses, it reads, when an alien or a sojourner, immigrant can also be translated, when an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. For you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. Jesus is asked this question, who is my neighbor? And tells the parable of the great Samaritan to show how expansive the commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves should be read and understood and responded to. And so when Jesus gets to the end of the parable of the good Samaritan, he turns to the lawyer and he asks him, who acted as a neighbor in the story? And the young lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. That's the one who loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus expands the requirement from just your people to God's people, to God's great creation. We are con contributing to not just our flourishing, but the flourishing of all people. And throughout human history, we have the tendency to want to restrain, to restrict God's love to our people. And he says, remember, it is not good for you to be alone. You are connected. Contribute to the flourishing of all people. And so Jesus concludes that being a person that shows mercy is loving your neighbor as yourself. But remember the question that first got this conversation going. The lawyer asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus responds and seems to be getting at the point to enter into eternal life means loving your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor is some surprising folks out there. It's contributing to God's flourishing in the world. When you love your neighbor as yourself, you're contributing not just to your own flourishing, but the flourishing of those around you. And so Roswell Presbyterian Church is a place that we care about contributing to the flourishing of God's people. When you commit to give at RPC, you commit to helping us cultivate people 
with intellectually credible faith, with hearts that experience God's love, and with hands ready to serve, not just for our people, but for God's world that we care about contributing to the flourishing of God's creation. We might have a tendency to think and be self-interested, to think that we are, we are alone. But God invites us to step into eternal life, to flourish together. And we do this by loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great commandment you have given us, that you've called and created us to not be alone, but to be in relationship and to care about one another, to care about your world, to contribute to its flourishing. We pray that RPC might be a place that builds and creates, sustains a flourishing creation. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.